Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. KYW Original Podcasts. I close this because, like, people try and get in here. (laughs) I hope that doesn't, I think that one may fall, although I need a new chair in here. I don't know how to get one. I guess I could just bring so, welcome to my office. KJ. Welcome to my office. We're not in the studio. We're not. Tell us where we are right now. We are in the Criminal Justice Center of Philadelphia in my office, which I like to call a bigger walk-in closet. Yeah, it's kind of nice, though. Uh, it's nice and quiet. Those photographs over there of the birds are, were taken by Mike DiNardo's father. And he gave them to me to liven this place up. Otherwise, we're in beige central. It's just everything's beige. Yeah, it's a little dingy, but at least you're by yourself. I am. The door Which maybe I would like more than you do. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind it. So we have a few extra stories that we couldn't fit into episode seven because it was such a a big story. It was very long. How many hours of interview did we end up figuring out to be? Uh, Four and a half at least, maybe five hours that we condensed into. That's nothing. You know, the, fr- the first draft of episode seven was an hour and 40 minutes. And an hour 20 minutes, we finally got it down to 53. So what that means is that we have a ton of awesome stories that we just... So much sound. We just couldn't get into this, the episode. But they're all great. So we're going to make a few extra episodes. This is the first sort of special episode, and it's about Gerald Ross. My guy. Your guy. But... That'll come in a second. Before we get there, we wanted to tell all of you about something we announced in the credits of Episode 7. We did. It is that we are going to be hosting a live show at Indie Hall on July 27th. Um, And we're going to be talking about all the cases that we can talk about. So we have updates on every single case that we've done so far. There are some major updates with a couple of those cases. So if you want to hear and want to know about it, Come and see us, 2 p.m., Indie Hall, 399 Market Street. And then there's also, we're going to be previewing a little bit of the new case that we're working on. Yeah, and a bunch of significant updates in Fred Sion's case. We're hoping to talk to some of the guys from Homicide about what they've been working on going through the rest of the boxes since we finished up the episode. So we're going live at the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. It's July 27th, 2 p.m., Indie Hall. And we'd love to see as many of you who can make it out there. It's a free show. 
There's no reason not to come up and hang out with us. And bring some people. Yeah, it'll be fun. Fill the chairs. Also, if any of you have any questions for us, it could be about a specific episode that you, you wanted to know a little bit more about or just about how we make the podcast, feel free to send them to us. You can send it on Twitter. We're at Gone Cold Philly. On Instagram, post them in the Facebook group. Or send them to us by email. I'm Tom.Rickert at KYWNewsRadio.com. And I'm Kristen.Johansson at KYWNewsRadio.com. And for all the information about the live show, just go to KYWNewsRadio.com slash GoneColdLive. Okay, so this is the first of a few extra stories we're making from Episode 7, and this is about Gerald Ross. Okay, so Gerald Ross is the Philadelphia Police Commissioner's uncle. He also happens to be the homicide detective in Philadelphia who worked on Officer Fred Sion's case, and it was actually at the scene. I ended up taking a train out to Connecticut to see him, begged Alex Silverman, our boss, to go to go up there for a work day, um, and he booked the ticket, said, of course. Um, so I went up there, full day. Side note on this, I did bring my godfather with me, who was also an assigned detective on this case under then-Captain Richard Ross, just to make this a little more confusing. So my uncle— It's well, all a circle. It's, it is all of a circle. <laughs> I mean, it was, we really were going to put all of this into that episode, but it's way too much to figure out, yeah. and we couldn't even make the family tree. It was too long. So my uncle worked under Richard Ross as a detective on, on Fred Sion. Richard Ross's uncle worked on the Fred Sion case, and Richard Ross is the nephew of Jerry Ross. So it's a circle. But anyway, my godfather and I went up. My godfather just obviously, you know, he wanted to uh, go with me because he wanted to hear what Jerry Ross said. He wanted to meet Jerry Ross. So we took a train up there, an Uber to his house, and um, he talked to me about a lot of things, but probably one of the most interesting parts of his story was that he was also shot in the line of duty, and that was quite the story to tell because it really was kind of by accident that he was there. Right. Well, he just mentioned it to you, and then you said, hold up, I want to talk about this, and uh, he and he told the whole story. Where were you shot? I didn't know that, that you were shot in the line of um, duty. Can you talk about that, or oh, if he, it's okay if you well, don't want no, to? No, no, no. Uh, on October 28th, 1973, uh, I belonged to a very large church, a Baptist church at 58th and Race, the Mount Carmel Baptist Church. I was on the trustee board at the church. We had just built a million-dollar community services building, and we had one Sunday where we were going to try to raise as much money to, to offset the cost of the building, and that was October 28th. Uh, we advertised it in the newspapers, which may have been a mistake because someone bent on robbing the church saw the article and they knew there would be a lot of money. Uh, on that particular Sunday, I was my role as the vice chair of the trustee board was to make sure everything was running smoothly. And I left the money counting room where I was the youngest person <laughs> at the time. Um, I was 38 years old. And I went to get some money wrappers. And when I came back, I saw a room full of elderly men, my colleagues on the trustee ministry, with their hands up. And this was very strange because it was a Sunday morning. And the church service was going on. And this was in the lower level of the church. And I saw it. It was, it was kind of surreal because I couldn't believe it just didn't seem right. And so 
when I saw the men with their hands up, this person grabbed me and he pulled me in and, and it was just like everything was in slow motion. Now, I had, because I took the money to the night depository when the money was counted, I had my weapon in the pocket. But I didn't have my service revolver. I had a, I had a, a, an automatic, a 22 or 25 or something like that. I said, then I had my badge in this pocket. And I said, well, if he sees my badge and sees I'm a police officer, he might shoot me. And so without thinking, uh, I probably was about 10 feet away from where he was. And I said, well, I'll give you my wallet. But instead of reaching for my wallet, I was reaching for the gun that I'd never even fired before. I knew it was there, but I never fired it before. And the safety catch was on also. But anyway, long story short, I took the gun out of my pocket, took the safety off, and we, we hit each other. Um, and so the only thing that I, I felt a sting because I got hit right, right above my right hip bone. And I just couldn't move my leg. So I fired at him, and, and he was much younger. He turned, around, he turned around and ran. I thought I'd missed him. Even though I had a sharpshooter's badge, it didn't mean anything. It was di quite different when somebody's pointing a gun at you. So that evening, he went to a hospital in South Philadelphia and um, with a gunshot wound. So I did hit him, and he said that he was in a gang fight. And, but the homicide detectives quickly cleared that up, and they brought pictures to the hospital, a photo spread, and I picked out the person. And, and so that was, wow. that, was that. But you're okay. But there's an interesting segue to that because... Believe it or not, a month before that happened, I was working in West Philadelphia with another detective, and a call came over the police radio. They said there's a there's a holdup in progress and a shooting at the Kesman Hotel. It was a, it was kind of an itinerant hotel at Ninth and Spruce, and the guy I was with said, "Should we should we go down?" I said, "No. By the time we get there, it'll be a lot of cops. So let's not go." Well, it turns out the night clerk was killed. The very gun that killed that night clerk was the gun that the guy used to shoot me. So it was the same shooter, but they could not get him on that killing. They got the gun, and they did a ballistics match, and it was the same gun that killed the hotel clerk. So I didn't get nervous until I found that out. <laughs> but by then, I was recovering. So Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. So that was crazy. And... I, I can't even imagine just thinking about what what that's like to find to find out that the gun that you were shot with was used to to kill someone. It was not to me. It was basically he was part of his own investigation by accident. Yeah, and it's definitely something where people know. You know, Lynn Abraham, who's a former DA, told me she said, "Oh, did you know Jerry Ross was also shot?" And so this is something that a lot of people knew from that time period. They know Jerry Ross because he was shot. Right. All right. So he, here's another thing that we thought was pretty interesting. Gerald Ross got into what it was like being a police officer, a homicide detective back in the 60s and the 70s, and what it was like working under Frank Rizzo. So starting with just being a cop back then. And what was it like at that time, being a homicide detective? Was there a spike in crime and, and kind was... of what they're seeing now? It was it was difficult because the 
The gang problem in Philadelphia was very severe at the time. The crime rate was high, the murder rate was high, and it just seemed that we couldn't get a handle on it. It was, and, and I was concerned because I had children that were just about ready to go into high school, and I didn't know how I was going to handle that. So it was a very stressful time period, the early years that I was in, um, in that division. So Jerry Ross was a police officer under Commissioner Rousseau. And Rizzo has a very lengthy, complicated history with this city. Um, he was not well-liked by... I mean, that's really an understatement to even say that he wasn't well-liked, but he wasn't well-liked by minority groups, the LGBT community, the black community, the Hispanic community, minorities in general, really felt like he was a racist. Well, and you asked Jerry Ross this directly. I mean... I'm sure you did too, but I thought his answer was fascinating. When I spoke with Nick Sione, he talked a little bit, obviously, about Rizzo and under Rizzo as a police commissioner. And without getting too involved, because I don't know if we're even going to touch upon this in this podcast, how was it being an African-American police officer under Rizzo? With Frank Rizzo, you had to love him or hate him. I loved him. I will always say that. Uh, you have to go by the way a person treats you has been my own philosophy. Uh, you can say what you will, but you still revert back to how that person interacted with you and treated you. I had, I had reason to, to like Frank Rizzo. He treated me well. He was an exceptional person. He was the first ranking officer when I became a police officer in the Ninth District. He was the police inspector. He was unusual in the, in the sense that even though there were several hundred men that worked there, he remembered everybody's name. I don't know how he did it to this day. And, of course, he remembered my name. Uh, one of my favorite stories, a short version, when he became the mayor-elect of Philadelphia, he headed the Mummers Parade. And as a police officer, I always had to work on the Bummers Parade. But one year I was not working. And so I took my three sons to Broad Street between Pine and Spruce where I would normally be working. And so we were watching Parade. So the Mummers come up being led by Frank Rizzo. And as he passed me and my sons, I hollered out. And for some reason, he turned and looked. Now, he'd already gone by me, but he turned and looked, and he recognized me. He stopped the entire parade, walked back, and shook my hand and shook my children's hands. He says, he says, Ross, what the heck? Why aren't you working today? I mean, here's a guy <laughs> that has hundreds of people working for him, but he took the time to walk back. And to but joke. he knew you didn't show up. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I said, but he knew you weren't there at work. <laughs> oh, yeah, he knew because I had my, my children. But, right. But, and then... Um, of course, I, I got shot in the line of duty some years just before I left, and he came to the hospital as mayor, and I called him commissioner, which he always enjoyed being called anyway. And my wife chastised me. She said, he's the mayor, he's the mayor. I said, oh, he's still the commissioner. And he really he enjoyed hearing that because he was that close to police work. It was fascinating. And honestly... I thought he was going to give me a very different view. But one of the other things I thought was really interesting was, in a sense, he used black police officers and used white police officers and put them together for that exact purpose, that 
they basically, one played good cop, one played bad cop, depending on what neighborhood they were in and depending on who they were talking to. And that was something that he also talked about. He was paired with a white cop on purpose. And most black cops were paired with white cops on purpose. And when they went, Jerry Ross talks about this, when they went out to North Philadelphia into those speakeasies, you know, Jerry Ross was the one that was, you know, talking to the owners of the speakeasies to get into these places to talk to the neighbors about what happened to the police officer. And he had his partner who was a white cop. That community, he said, ended up trusting that cop because he was with Jerry Ross. And it was kind right. of like a... They, they each had different groups of people that it was easier for one of them or the other to talk to. Right. And so Jerry Ross at least thought it was kind of smart of him to do that, to work certain cases, whether or not be a homicide. All right. Last one from Jerry Ross. Obviously, Philly's highest ranking cop is police commissioner Richard Ross. And you had an opportunity to ask Commissioner Ross's uncle about him. So, of course, you took it. So a lot of people in this city um, have different opinions about Commissioner Ross. He's not Charles Ramsey, and he's not like other police commissioners. But he's always said, I'm going to be me. I'm going to do what I can do as a police commissioner. So I was kind of interested in finding out from Jerry Ross how Richard Ross has been. Like as a person, as a kid, is he really, has he always been this way? Kind of this like type A, straight shooter, you know, um, doesn't really get jazzed up about too much. Always has like an even tone. And so it was kind of interesting to talk to Jerry Ross about who his nephew is as a person. Yeah, and we, we may end up doing a short little extra episode on Richard Ross on some of the things that he talked about. But in, until then... Here is Uncle Gerald Ross talking about nephew Commissioner Richard Ross. And then can you tell me also who's your nephew? I have one brother. His name is Richard Ross. And he has three sons, the oldest of which is Richard Ross Jr. Uh, You know him in Philadelphia, right? Yes. He is the police commissioner, currently the police commissioner in Philadelphia. Uh, It's strange that when he was a boy... I showed him a scrapbook, and he he looked at it for a very long time, and he, he probably looked at it more than once, and it was just uh, a bunch of clippings in it that made the newspaper, and, and he showed a very early interest, according to him, having looked at that scrapbook, and uh, he ended up in the police department. But before then, he, you know, he went to college, and he was in the uh, Army, I think he was in the Army Reserve, but... When he finished with that, he became a police officer. There are some mannerisms you both have, which are just kind of funny. You know, family isn't that far apart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so are you, you are, you still remain close with him, obviously. Uh, we're very close. He, he's a fine individual, not just because I'm his uncle. He, he has got a, a penchant for trying to help people. And it's not, it's authentic. It's not an act. I've seen him do it time and time again. It doesn't matter whether you're related to him or if he thinks that he can help you and not compromise himself or not spend a lot of time away from what he should be doing as police commissioner, he just, he does it. He said to me one time, if, if, I, if I'm in this position and I can't help someone uh, that, that I'm able to, then I shouldn't be here. He said that to me. 
did he want to become a homicide captain? Because we know that he was a lieutenant and captain in homicide. Is that ever something that he talked to you about his interest in it? Because kind of the legacy here is... Well, I remember I followed his career very closely. Um, because you were in homicide. Right. I had no idea that he would end up in homicide, let alone be the commanding officer of the homicide division. Because I looked at his career and I tracked, I followed it, even though I left the police department. Because, because I guess once you're in a department, you become used to it and the interest is always there. And so I watched him... Uh, go from several units to become a detective sergeant in the East Division and a captain in the 14th Division in Germantown. And before then, he was with something they used to call the ACT, A-C-T, unit. It was a plainclothes uh, unit that, I, I don't know what their job was, but they were they were crime fighters. So, uh, And so he, when he ended up in homicide as a lieutenant, I was surprised. And... Utterly, utterly flabbergasted when he became the commanding officer there. All right, there we go. We'll have another one of these for everybody pretty soon, probably on Pete Kane, the one and only Pete Kane. And he he had some. We really didn't use much at all of what Pete Kane gave us. I think he was in there two hours after like one of his overnight shoots that they had for like. It was like a three or four hour live shot at some crime scene. And then he decided to come in and talk to us. And, and we're like, no, really, we could do this another day if you want. And he's like, no, I'm awake. He's like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm just <laughs> going to talk with you guys. Yeah, he, he had some just mind boggling stories about growing up in North Philly and then getting a totally different perspective on the streets behind a camera for decades as a cameraman for NBC10. And how he got into the, the profession that he's in now. He wanted to apparently be a police officer, and he has a couple crazy stories. Yeah, it, it's all bonkers, and we'll we'll do that. We'll probably do that next. That might take a little longer to put together, but all right. So stay tuned for that, and don't forget, come see us live, Indie Hall in Philly, July twenty seventh, two p.m. It's free. Bring a friend. Where is it again? Three nine nine Market Street. Yeah, three nine nine Mark, not Independence Hall, Indie Hall, three nine nine Market Street. It's like a workspace work together space um so it should be really fun never know who you could see just besides us all right that's it uh see you then and we'll talk to you in i don't know a week or so maybe two weeks we'll see when we can turn around another one of these extras (laughs) baseball is in full swing nba playoffs are heating up and your nfl team is gearing up for training camp listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the odyssey app the biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 